Good day to you. This is what is the second to last recording on our series of videos about the introduction to Lutheranism and our catechetical instruction, teaching of the catechism, what we Lutherans believe, teach, and confess. And I pray that this has been a blessing and has given a wonderful way of reviewing of one's faith or introducing it, whatever it may be, be the case for you. So what we are going to do is we're going to be talking about in these last two videos the life of a Christian. So we've talked about the six chief parts. And so it's kind of the, where do we go from there? So we've heard God's law. That we've heard of the Ten Commandments that God has a demands for how we are to live. And ultimately in the Ten Commandments, as we talked about, the law always accuses. So we've seen that we are sinners. We've seen and heard that we are sinners on account of what is recorded in the Ten Commandments. In the Apostles' Creed, we heard we hear that what that God provides for us out of divine fatherly goodness and mercy, that Jesus has redeemed us, not with silver or gold, but with his holy, innocent suffering and death. That the Holy Spirit claims us in his means of grace to be a child of God. Purely by grace, you have salvation. You will rise on the last day, your sin washed away. In the Lord's Prayer, we focused on what prayer is, but we also focused on we focused on prayer, but we also focused on how that prayer is ultimately a response to faith. That in that prayer, we are praying ultimately that God would enable us to live in accordance with his commandments. We've talked about holy baptism, a gift by which God claims you. We've talked about confession and absolution and the service and work of the pastor, who is a person you may come, and when you are burdened by your sin, you may come and say, hey, pastor, listen, I did this thing this week. I was really stupid. I feel awful. I did it, and the pastor in the stead and by the command of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ could say your sins are forgiven. And what's more is you're given this precious meal called the Lord's Supper, which you could taste, touch, smell, forgiveness given to you. So the question is, is what about everything else? What, what is the life of a Christian? Well, the first thing is, is ultimately, and I've talked about this throughout, whether we're talking about the Lord's Supper, when we've talked about the third commandment, we've talked about um, the third article of the creed, uh, when we talked about, I think, I can't remember which one of the petitions, I think it might be the second or third petition. But anyways, throughout this, the emphasis has been, there's been a repeating emphasis of the importance of worship life being in the church, going to church regularly. And this is this is one of the biggest, the greatest sadnesses or tragedies that we experience as, as pastors or anybody in the church. We see kids that get confirmed and we, through the course of two years, we learn to absolutely, you know, have total compassion and care for any of those kids. And the great, the sadness is, is that these kids, we don't see them anymore. 
Uh, we don't see him much during ch in church or anything like that. And the sadness is, is in the vows, in the confirmation vows, the confirmand promises to remain faithful even unto death. That he will be receive the word, that he'll hear the word, that he receive the Lord's Supper regularly. That's what he promised, he or she promises. And yet, for so many, the Lord's Supper that they received at their confirmation, that is the last time they'll receive it. It's such a tragedy. I mean, I'm looking at our in a couple months. I mean, we have our uh, we're going to be having a graduate recognition. I've looked at our 18 kids that got confirmed here. And there are some of those kids that have not set foot in this building since the day they were confirmed. And so to live as a Christian is to be in God's word. The James, in his epistle, he said, The faith without works is dead. Now, he's not saying that you have to do good works to be saved. But he is saying that if you're not doing good works, then there is no faith. See, salvation, you are saved by grace. It's a free gift of God. Faith is an evidence of that grace, all right? And faith is a thing that clings to it. But faith is living. It's something, it, it will manifest itself in your life. And the biggest, the most basic of ways that your faith manifests itself is by coming into the church to hear God's word, to sing his praises in music, no matter what style it is, assuming that the music is theologically sound. You come to sing it, but ultimately you are coming to hear his word, to receive his holy supper, to hear his apps, to receive absolution, to, to receive his means of grace by which he forgives you and strengthens you and renews you. That is faith. That is the number one thing that Christians do, is they are in church. They're hearing God's word regularly. All right? Secondly, one of the things is, is our modern church service is basically about an hour, hour 15. If there's communion, it usually gets closer to an hour and 15 minutes. And if we go much over that, there's going to be a lot of upset people. Our average sermon is about 15 to 20 minutes. Now, there's some churches that their sermons are like eight minutes. I know one pastor, he is a master at the eight-minute sermon. Uh, but not every pastor is good like that. But the thing is, is that that's really not much. There are some churches that will go like 45 minutes on a sermon or whatever. And then the other 15 minutes is just music. The only thing is, is we as Lutherans, we talked about worship. Um, our worship is designed to instruct, to reinforce your faith. And a 45-minute sermon um, unless you're a really dynamic preacher, it's going to start to put people to sleep. And by the way, the people who preach 45 minutes, they are dynamic speakers. I don't know if you could say they're great preachers. The theology is usually suspect. But they do have incredible, 
charisma so people are able to you're easily able to engage but you know 85 percent of pastors don't have that kind of charisma and so it's not it's not feasible and so we have to we have, have liturgy we have communion we have confession and absolution we have the scripture readings which we have at least three every sunday and you know, if we had a 45-minute sermon, the service is going to get pretty long. So you're actually probably wondering, well, what's the point here? The point is, is that you still have to find a time to continue in catechesis or Christian instruction. So when a person gets confirmed, when they have received the Lord's Supper for the first time, they're you're not done learn, learning about God's Word. You have just scratched the surface. Rather, it is pretty much kind of opening the doors for you to participate in the rest of it, to get more of the story. So that is why we have Bible classes. We have an adult Bible class. It's every single Sunday morning at 1030. We have a high school Bible class. That is every Sunday at 1030. Um, we have a th I have a Bible study at Pizza Hut every Tuesday at 6 o'clock. Um, we have a Bible, two Bible studies on Wednesday mornings. We have one at um, 6.30 over at Zimmy's. We have another one at um, here at the church at 9.30. And if you happen to be listening to this and you're a member of a church in Timbuktu, your church will hopefully have some Bible studies and opportunities as well to dig deeper into God's Word. And it's also, it's not also, it's not only about learning God's word, although that's the primary thing, is growing in the faith, growing spiritually. But it's also an opportunity to develop community. You build relationships with the others who are there in that Bible study, um, who are part of that ministry. This is why we have youth ministries. Uh, youth ministry is a great way to develop pure, peer relationships that are built primarily upon the foundation of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Um, it's an opportunity to hear about God's word, of course, um, to be familiar with it. And it's also very beneficial, um, for the, especially when you get into college. It's going to build a foundation to stand on, because I guarantee it, your faith will be challenged in college. Um, it may be directly people saying, you know, you Christians, anybody that believes in God is stupid or whatever. It may be directly like that, but or it could just be the the college life itself, the temptations to to live recklessly because you have you have freedom that you never had in in high school or junior high or whatever, and so naturally the high school, the college life, um, brings challenges. And so for that reason, it is important to build that foundation. Um, we also have what's, we have also have ministries like the LWML, Lutheran Women's Missionary League, uh, which is a women's ministry to anyone 18 and older, um, any mem female member of our of a congregation. There are many opportunities, many places where you can be a part of a ministry and be a part of the life of the church. But here's another thing, and this is where we're going to come back into the catechism. So none of these things I'm talking about is directly tied to the catechism. Um, although, really, those first few things, to some degree, are connected to the third commandment. Because, um, like I said, we 
you know, I actually just wrote an article for the Ida County Courier, County Courier, and I wrote an article about the importance of Bible reading. Uh, there was an article. There was a several years ago. It was reported by someone that the Bible is one of the most overrated books in the world, and the reason was is because so few Christians read. And there's truth to that, but. And so the, there's truth to the fact that so few Christians read. It's not that it's overrated. And probably the actual reality is it's underrated. That Christians who should know better are not reading it is probably because it's underrated, not because it's overrated. And so this is why, but you are supposed to be in God's word. And it's amazing. We have more access to the Bible now than we ever have in history. So, I mean, for example, you know, I got right here an iPad from which I can, you know, bring up the contents of the Bible. I have a phone, my cell phone. I could bring up a Bible in any translation I want. Up, <clears throat> you can't quite see it, but right up there, yeah, you can't see it. It's behind my Lord of the Rings pop vinyl figures, but that's an entire row of Bibles. There are, we have access to Bibles that no one has had in the history of the world, and yet we're not reading it. Um, in the ancient, in earlier times, people had to, um, for once, services were a lot longer. They were a lot longer. Um, preachers would regularly preach for about an hour. Their services were like three hours. All right, so I mean, you—they dug in deep into the scriptures because that's the only way they could get it, and so they treasured it. They took what opportunities they could. Um, but we're in a culture where we're so mindful of time and things like that, and so we don't take the time to read the scriptures. So, be finding opportunity to be in God's word is very central to being in the faith. And so I'm talking about the communal, communal aspect. So your community of faith um, in worship, that's your community of faith. Uh, in Bible study, your, the ministries that you're part of, that is a part of the community of faith. Now here is, but, what, but now the question, what about your daily life? Well, fortunately in Luther's small camp, there are many resources. The first thing is, Luther's small catechism. Now, again, I've been using this combo, small catechism and large catechism. And in it, there are a number of prayers. There's Luther's morning prayer, which he begins. It says, in the morning, when you get up, make the sign of the Holy Cross. So if you want to know how to do this, so you take three fingers, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. These two fingers are standing up. And the reason that stands for Jesus is true God and true man. So you go in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pretty simple. And what it is, is a way Luther encourages this, making the sign of the cross. Note, people think that making the sign of the cross is something only Roman Catholics do. Lutherans don't do it. It's right there in Luther's small catechism. Yep, right. If you need to see it, it's right on, right there. Luther's own words. In the morning, when you get up, make the sign of the Holy Cross and say, 
In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, amen. This is a reminder of your baptism. And he says, then, you can repeat the creed, repeat the Apostles' Creed and the Lord's Prayer. And if you choose, you may also say this little prayer. I thank you, my Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you kept me this night from all harm and danger. And I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings in life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Then joyfully go to your work singing a hymn like that of the Ten Commandments or whatever your devotion may suggest. So there you go. A very simple prayer to say at the beginning of the day. And the reason, by the way, the reason why, here, so here's also a prayer for the evening. So it says, in the evening, when you go to bed, make the sign of the Holy Cross. So there you go, the Holy Cross again. And say, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Kneeling or standing, repeat the creed and the Lord's Prayer. If you choose, you may also say this little prayer. I thank you, my Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son that you have graciously kept me this day. And I pray that you would forgive me all my sins where I have done wrong and graciously keep me this night. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. So as you notice, in both evening prayer in morning prayer, you start with the sign of the cross, remembering your baptism. So the idea is that to make it at the beginning of the day is because you're going to go through the day. Now, you may have an awesome day. Everything goes exactly like you want it. And it's a day you love it. And so the sign of the cross can be a remembrance and say, thank, thank you, God, that you gave me the privilege and the honor of enjoying this day. But it also might be a really cruddy day. Maybe you don't do well. Something doesn't go well at work or in school. Um, a paper doesn't turn out well. A test doesn't turn out well. Or maybe somebody that you're working with is just frustrating you. Maybe your employer, your employee, your coworker, or maybe, or maybe it's a classmate that says something awful to you. Maybe it's a friend that proved not to be a friend. Any of a number of things, and you're just struggling. Well, you began the day with those words to remind you that no matter how deep, no how, matter how dark the day gets, you are baptized into Christ. You're a child of God. <clears throat> it's to remind you whose you are, who you are, at the core, at the foundation. It matters nothing of what anyone else says. You said in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Making the sign of the cross. It's remembrance of your baptism, because when you're baptized, the pastor says, receive the sign of the cross upon your forehead and upon your heart to mark you as one redeemed by Christ the crucified. So it's a reminder that no matter what anybody says, it doesn't matter. Because ultimately, you were created by a holy and righteous God. You the holy and righteous God who is Jesus, 
who is the man, Jesus, died for you. The Holy Spirit claimed you as a child of God. That's what he says of you. What everyone else mean, says is ultimately inconsequential. This doesn't mean that we can't we have to we can be lawless and we can do do whatever we want, but it's they give us comfort, give us a foundation to stand upon. And it's also a charge to us to remember how to live. Is remember we stand as his, as his representative. And this is where the evening prayer is helpful. At the end of the day, you say those same words as a reminder that, yeah, you sinned. You sinned a lot in the day. And you failed many times in living up to the standard of being a child of God. And so you make that sign of the cross to remind you that in the waters of baptism, you are forgiven. You also make the sign of the cross right before you go to sleep because you may not wake up in the morning. It may be the last time you go to sleep. And so you remember that you are forgiven. You are a child of God. And should you die in the night, you shall rise to paradise. Then there's some prayers here for mealtime. It says the children and members of the household should go to the table reverently, fold their hands at the time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. Psalm 145, verse 15 to 16. And then shall be said the Lord's Prayer and the following. Lord God, Heavenly Father, Bless us and these your gifts which we receive from your bountiful goodness through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Again, there's a prayer for after you finish eating. See, quite often we, we, eat, we pray before we eat, but not many of us pray after we eat. But Luther gives a nice little prayer for us to pray then. He says, also after eating, they shall in like manner reverently and with folded hands say, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. He gives food to every creature. He provides food for the cattle and for the young ravens when they call. His pleasure is not in the strength of a horse, nor his delight in the legs of a man. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. Psalm 136, verse 125. And Psalm 147, verse 9 to 11. Then shall be said the Lord's Prayer and the following. We thank you, Lord God, Heavenly Father, for all your benefits through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit forever and ever. Amen. So those are prayers for your life. And you're probably, th I think it's kind of interesting is some of you maybe growing up had this, where your parents would not let you eat until you prayed. And that's a good practice, that you don't forget who provided these gifts for you. But I also think it's kind of interesting discipline to train kids and adults likewise that you are not to leave the table until you pray that prayer. It is actually, it's part of this thing that's called vocation, which we're going to focus a lot more in the next video, that we are all called to a living in Christ, to live as his children. And that's in every moment of every second of every day. We are called to live as children of God. And by telling us that we can't leave the table until we say that prayer, 
is actually a way of framing our life around Christ. The idea of praying right before you go to sleep and as soon as you wake up, again, is about framing your life around your Lord. Because we get this mistaken idea that God is, we're supposed to put God first in our lives. God doesn't want to just to be just first in your life. That's not enough. God wants to be everything in your life. Everything you do boils down to your relation is about your relationship to God. You go to school, you go to work, you're driving in the car, you're shopping at a store. How you, the way you are as a customer, the way you are as a driver, the way you are as a citizen, the way you are as a patient, maybe you go to the doctor, the way you are as a teacher, as a whatever it may be, you are a servant of Christ and you are to live in like manner as a servant of Christ. And so that's why these prayers are framed the way they are. It's to frame your entire life around your identity as a Christian. And you're framing your entire life as understanding that everything is a gift to God, from God, and a service to God. So the one, and so also in addition to this practice, some really good practice in your daily life is to find times for daily prayers. I read some of them. Um, there's also other resources. So right here, I have couple devotional resources. So this is one that has been put out for many years. It's called Portals of Prayer. Concordia's publishing house has been putting out for who, I don't know how many years. Somebody out there probably knows. Um, I got to just check. If, maybe it's in here. Yeah, I'm not seeing anything in here, but it's got to have been going on for a very long time. But this is a wonderful, simple, devotional resource. You see just a little bit of uh, devotional thoughts. You have a scripture reading each day. So let's say, so like today, as I'm recording, it is January 15th. So you would read from James chapter 1, 2 to 18, and Psalm 119, verses 41 to 48. The verse of the day to kind of memorize, to learn is James 1, verse 5, and then you have the nice little devotion and a short prayer. Uh, there is also an online version of it. I have that on my iPad. Um, in our congregation, we also offer up this devotional resource known as Congregation at Prayer. Um, in it, you have a scripture reading every single day. Um, you, have, you have a part of the... Um, of the Lord's Prayer from the commandments to... Uh, for the, or I should say from the small catechism to recite every day. Uh, so, and the idea is that you recite it every day as you eventually learn it by heart, as Luther encouraged. And so the scriptures are basically going through the major themes of the scripture. But every now and then you come across a day, like, so for example, this coming Saturday, January 18th, is the Confession of St. Peter. And so there's a prayer and a reading that reflects it. Um, as I talked about at the beginning, when I was reading Luther's um, evening prayer, which, by the way, Luther's morning and evening prayer is printed in here for you. Um, he encourages you to sing a hymn on the way to work. Well, there's a hymn of the week. There's two hymns every day to be sung. And you could sing one of those hymns on the way to work or hum the tune, whatever it may be. 
So, and, and as I'm talking about this, another good, very important, valuable resource to have is a hymnal. Right here is the old hymnal that many of us grew up on. Um, page 5 and page 15, you might remember it. For, it's the 1942 uh, The Lutheran Hymnal. Uh, those are harder to find, but some churches you'll find might have some in the back. Um, and then this is the current hymnal. It's a Lutheran service book. I have a gift edition, so it's kind of bendy like this, but there you can get one like you see in your typical church. But it's a wonderful resource. Uh, there is... You could make use of any of the number of the liturgies. You could sing the hymns. Uh, there's plenty of resources, ways to use this as part of your devotional life. Uh, there's also a book that Concordia Publishing House put out that's called um, The Treasury of Daily Prayer. Or there's another one that I make use of. I have it right over here. Uh, it's called For All the Saints. This is another devotional resource. There's plenty of resources out there for um, keeping active and reading your reading the word, just studying God's word, because that is an important part of being a Christian, is being in God's word. It is the most important part, because you need his word to strengthen you through the day, through the week, through your life, um, to carry those words in the darkest and most trying of moments. And so there are many different resources. You could go onto the internet and you'll find stuff. You'll find podcasts. Uh, there's videos and things like that. So I so this is central to the life of a Christian. Prayer and scripture and sacraments. All right. So that's where we're going to conclude on this video. The next video, I'm going to come back and we're going to talk about the life in between. So we are Christians. We're supposed to be in prayer. We're supposed to be in, in the Word. What about the rest of my life? Well, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the doctrine of vocation and the table of duties. And that will be where we end off. That will be the last, I think that will be the last video. Maybe it will go up to 20 so it can be a nice round number. But I think that's there's one or two more videos. So I pray this is a blessing and continues to be informative. In Jesus' name, amen.